Hello, and welcome to the May 23, 2023 episode of the Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer, dead and gone, to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is jazz trumpeter Anthony Hervey. Anthony Hervey is an American trumpeter, composer, and teacher from South Florida. At the age of 18, he was admitted to the Juilliard School, graduating with his Bachelor of Music in 2019 and his Master of Music in 2020. Wynton Marcellus described Hervey as a beautiful trumpet player of the first magnitude. And he has performed at clubs, concert halls, and castles all over the world with some of the best that jazz has to offer, including Wynton Marcellus, Christian McBride, John Baptiste, and Michael Buble. In recent years, he made his international debut as a band leader at the Bern Jazz Festival in Switzerland. In February of 2020, he opened for the Branford Marcellus Quartet at the Rose Theater with a co-led jazz quartet, Citizens of the Blues. He is also on Christian McBride's Grammy Award-winning big band album for Jimmy, Wes, and Oliver, which was released on Mac Avenue Records. On another note, Hervey is prominently featured acting and playing trumpet in the anthology series Monsterland, airing on Hulu. Hervey is an artist with firm musical roots who strives to understand the past while also giving meaning to jazz in our present time. He views music as a force that can uplift and inspire. In the same way music has changed his life and brought him joy, he strives to spread that joy and change the lives of others through jazz. He's releasing his debut album as a leader, Words From My Horn, in June of 2023. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Anthony Hervey.
Hello, Anthony. All right. Hello. It's really great to uh, have the opportunity to uh, talk with you. I've been looking forward to uh, our conversation today, and I would like to get started right uh, right off the bat talking about uh, the your new album uh, that uh, you are set to release in June, and an, an album entitled Words from My Horn. Yes. And when I heard that, I thought about the Charlie Parker quote that uh, allegedly, well, which has been attributed to Bird, that if you don't live it, it won't come out of your horn. Yes. Um, are you saying something similar with the title of your new album? Yeah, a, a little bit. I believe that music and life are not separate. So everything you go through and live through, you know, kind of comes to your music. Um, also, the title, um, it kind of refers to the power of sound to reach people in a place beyond words, you know, you know, because we have like we all speak different languages. We all come from different places. But the thing I think is really special about instrumentalists is that, you know, people can always feel what we do, but it doesn't really matter about the language barrier. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, you know, um, I think that is one of the awesome things about about music. Uh, uh, I when I used to teach uh, music appreciation at the university, uh, very often, you know, most of my students, of course, were their background was pop music, and most pop music has has vocals. So when I was teaching them, uh, you know, music that was strictly instrumental, their big question to me would always be, "Well, what's it about? What? How do I know what the music is about if there aren't any words?" And I would, I would, uh, I would kind of answer that question two different ways. I would say one, one of them, I'd say, well, listen to uh, what the music sounds like and what think of it as like a movie or TV soundtrack. And what movie do you see in your head when you hear this music? What, what mood do you feel? Or even ask yourself, uh, about what kind of day was the composer having when they wrote this? Were they in love? Were they angry? Were they jilted? Were they, how were they feeling? You know, that sort of right. thing. And uh, that seemed to work pretty well, you know, yeah. because I would, uh, I'd play a Chopin uh, piano uh, prelude or something. And, and because they're nice and short and concise uh, mostly. Yes. And, and I said, well, what kind of day was Chopin having when he, when he wrote this, you know, and then, then we'd talk about that. And the other thing that comes to my mind, Anthony, and of course you're, you're too young to remember these, although you could have seen them on, uh, you know, uh, is the Leonard Bernstein's um, young people's concerts that he used to do back in the sixties. Wow. I remember seeing those on television and I, uh, was reminded of one of his great quotes from a, a movie that was nominated for an Oscar this year for best picture tar. Hmm. And the main character in the film pay, uh, played by Kate Blanchett is a, uh, uh, of course, fictional character, but she's a former student of Bernstein's. And at one point she's reviewing one of his uh, young people's concerts and talking and Bernstein's talking about emotions, just like you were. And he says, you know, sometimes we have feelings that we can't put into words, but music does that for us. Yes. So I think that's in essence what you're saying is that your life experiences, then you express 
through through music and we find a common ground there right. regardless of our language i think that's an excellent way to put it mm-hmm. so um is uh, the the new album all original compositions yeah. so i have 12 songs on the album okay 10 of them are original and then i recorded one of my favorite hymns his eyes on the sparrow oh yeah oh yeah and then I also recorded But Beautiful, um, a ballad. Oh, I love both of those tunes. <laughs> I love both of those tunes. Oh, yeah. man. Yes. Excellent. I can't wait to hear it when it comes out because, uh, uh, yeah, His Eyes on the Sparrow is such a meaningful hymn, uh, piece of music, uh, you know, and, and it, it moves you spiritually to hear oh, it. Yeah. It moves me. I, I know that regardless of yes. whose version and, but beautiful is just that you're right. It's a beautiful yeah. ballad. I love that tune. Excellent. Excellent. Um, well then let's talk about your original tunes. Can yes. you, can you highlight uh, some of the tunes that, uh, that you've written and, and kind of where yes. they're, what they're about. So a lot of the music, it deals with my life experiences. So I grew up in South Florida, but I was born in Indiana So some of the music actually has a lot of references to the crossroad and like blues and things like that. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And then I also have some songs that are inspired by different poetry I've read. Um, I even write some of my own poetry. So the title track, Words from a Horn, was actually based off of a poem I wrote. And the way the form is structured actually models that. And then I also... Um, have some song like I have a rag that I wrote on the album called Do Rag. And oh, okay. So it's actually a contemporary version of a rag. So it's just piano and stride and stride piano. I mean, sorry, stride piano and trumpet. Okay. And it's like a contemporary spin on a rag. So as far as the form, you know, it it has multiple strains. We have modulation to the key of the four. Um, but it's really that's really interesting too. So with my music. I try to embrace the full breadth of jazz music. So from its earliest strands, like from Louis Armstrong to Earl Hines. And then I also like have a lot of, you know, hard bop in my music or like kind of like cannibal-esque. And then I'm also trying to be as current in the, my creations, you know, as possible. That that sounds, you know, that sounds, that sounds awesome to me. I mean, I personally love, all kinds of all styles of jazz. I, I mean, and, and, you know, since I retired from full-time teaching at the university, I put together different jazz groups to front that reflect my different tastes. So I have a modern jazz group, an eight piece, and we play, you know, bebop, hard bop, uh, Latin fusion, uh, that sort of thing. And we play out at clubs and, and uh, just love uh, love that that aspect. But see, I also love trad jazz. So I have a I have a uh, uh, a trad jazz band, and then I also love New Orleans brass bands. Mm-hmm. So I have a New Orleans brass band, and we play both traditional New Orleans brass band music, but also uh, whenever I can get a uh, an arrangement of a good contemporary brass band. Right. Um, I love their music. There's one that's just down the road from me, actually, in Madison, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. called um, uh, the Young Blood Brass Band. If you haven't ever heard them, check them out. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but they're uh, 
uh they they tour all over the world i don't know how many albums they have out but that uh it's one of the things i couldn't believe it when i was at new or the last time i was in new orleans my wife and i were were having uh we're having dinner and i can't remember whether we were at brennan's or antoine's or mm-hmm. or commander's palace but anyway on the on the soundtrack that was coming across in the the sound system. And next thing I know, I'm hearing the young blood brass band from <laughs> Madison, Wisconsin, while I'm sitting in New Orleans, I'm going, wow, isn't that odd? But I love the fact that you are, you recognize uh, your roots musically. Uh, you know, I find in my experience, like I have some younger musicians that play with me and I really have to take time to teach them styles for those you know those earlier styles of jazz just simply because they're not as familiar with them but trying to keep get them hip to where this all comes from right yeah no i love that because i feel like very similar to you like i have so many different influences and i just love so much music like i love trad but then i also like the current stuff i love hard rock like i love it all and i'm Mm -hmm. like how do you put this all together in a way that makes sense (laughs) well i can't (laughs) <laughs> I I can't wait to hear your version of the of a contemporary rag. I really oh, I, I I can't wait to hear it. So yeah. I'll look forward to the the album when it comes out. Oh, yeah. Uh because I think, you know, I mean, I, you know, it's like I when I I used to also teach jazz history and appreciation and I and I, and so I would always try to explain to students that jazz is is kind of a unique art form in that we play tunes that are older than dirt. I mean, some tunes are just really old, right? But in the in the context of performance, we are expected to create something new through improvisation. Right. And uh, and that tune, you know, it, it, it's great um, when you brought up the idea that music could be a common tongue or a common language right. uh, among people, uh, because you know it's like as I was explaining to my students, I said, well, we basically, you know, as jazz musicians, we use the the tune and the vocabulary of that tune kind of as a, a common language to then extemporize, you know, right. as I would use for improvisation. And I think that's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, but it's uh, uh, very much looking forward to your your uh, your original work. Uh, tell us about uh, the uh, the other people on the album that are playing oh. with you. Yeah. So I had a really great band. It's a quintet. I So I play trumpet and I sing on it. I sing on one song, um, but primarily trumpet. Then Sarah Hanahan, she's playing alto with me. Um, Isaiah Thompson is playing piano. I also have Sean Mason on one track. He's on do-rag. And then Philip Norris is on bass. And then a great drummer, Miguel Russell. Uh-huh. And are these these uh, all New York-based musicians? Well, <laughs> I guess nobody's technically from New York, but we all somehow ended up here. So, well, yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I, nobody's from New York. New it York so now we're all, yeah, <laughs> we're all New York based. The drummer, yeah. we actually went to the same high school. He's several years younger than me, but okay. so I've known about him for a long time. He's always been like a prodigy on the drums, but now he's up here at MSM. Okay. Um, Isaiah and Phil are really good friends of mine. I've, I've known them since like high school through different you know, camps and programs. Uh-huh. And we ended up going to Juilliard together. Okay. Um, and then Sarah Hanahan, I just met her maybe a couple years ago and we started playing together in um, Ulysses Owens' Gen Y band. 
Oh, okay. So do you, is that how you meet uh, other musicians? You you are uh, called to play in a particular band and then somebody else, and then you, you make an acquaintance that way? Or is it uh, is that typically how you meet other musicians? Um, I guess I'm talking much. about in a general sense, not yeah. just specifically you. But Yeah, pretty much. I, I feel okay. like I know so many amazing people, a lot of whom I met at school, some I met at camps I did in high school or you know, or just going around the city, checking out music. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would think, um, you know, you're it, being in New York is, is the talent pool is not only uh, broad, but it's also deep. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I have a former student of mine. He lives in Harlem. His name is uh, TW sample. It's right. a keyboard player. You might run across him someday, but uh, uh, I was talking, actually he was one of my earliest guests on my, on my uh, podcast because I started with former students who have uh, gone on and, you know, are, are out playing uh, in the uh, musical world. And uh, I know uh, TW was telling me about, you know, his experience and, and, you know, going to sessions and, or going out for breakfast and he'll sit down and it'll walk, you know, and he'll drop a name, you know, it'll be somebody <laughs> that I know or have heard of. And he says, yeah, he yeah. says, it's just cool, you know, because it's just thick with, you know, musicians, if you know where to go, that's, that's really kind of a, right. uh, a great experience. And I, I, I think back only because it was a recent story on national public radio. Uh, they did a story about the University of North Texas, where I did my graduate work, and particularly about the one o'clock lab band, which is the top big band on campus. And uh, so I listened to that uh, that program and to hear the students speak. And I went, it just rekindled a lot of great memories of being in this pool, huge pool. I mean, we had like, Oh man, there must have been well over a thousand music majors wow. on that campus. Yeah. And about, you know, 700 of them were in the jazz program. And um and it was it was very competitive, yeah. but it was not a dog eat dog cutthroat kind of competition. It was a uh you know, I'd get up in the morning and, and I'd say it, well, I'm not so sure I feel like going and practicing. And then the, the still small voice in my head would say, yeah, but you know who is probably practicing. <laughs> and that would get my butt going and I'd get up to the practice room, you know, and and a very helpful and supportive kind of atmosphere. And I was really happy to hear that in uh, in uh, uh, this uh uh, broadcast that just that just came out two or three days ago, I guess, on on national public radio, and uh, you know to be in that kind of environment, and I I I have to envision, I I imagine that you know New York is a very competitive environment, but I bet you, you also it sounds to me like there are also a lot of times very people willing to be very helpful towards each other. Absolutely, you yeah. know, and that must just be a great. Uh, uh, place to be if you love music and music making. So my hat's off to you. <laughs> um, so uh, which uh, label are you releasing your album? I am releasing with Outside and Music. Oh, um, sure, sure. Alan. I know those guys. Oh, yeah. Alan yeah, and I, Nick, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've, uh, uh, Al, I've had Alan on as a guest, and I love 
I love the uh, philosophy of the label. Yes. I think it's just awesome the way that they, they think. And, uh, and, uh, and actually, as I was looking up more about you and learning about you, I actually heard you uh, some time ago when you, and I can't remember who the other trumpet players were, but you did the trumpet quartet on, uh, was it Opera Oh, yes, uh, the, the Trumpet Summit. Yes, with Benny, Kellen, and uh, Dave Schneider, yeah. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And I uh, I wrote to Alan, and I said, hey, man, that is really great, man. That, the arrangement yeah. sounds sounds good. Did they do it? You know, did, did they have a, a – and he laughed. He says, no, they just – they all did it. Uh, it's a head chart. And yeah. I went, oh. <laughs> I said, well, great. But it did inspire me to, to begin writing my own arrangement uh for my uh for my eight piece but i remember hearing wow. you on that and not knowing it was you know you back then until you know what i'm getting at until yeah. i went back <laughs> and was listening to to things you're doing but uh uh i do have one of nick's uh charts that i did on on an album with my group uh his uh arrangement of a, a single petal of a rose right that he did and he he did it of course with some overdubs and and three trombones and and uh what bass clarinet and i can't remember what all else and i adapted that for my group and nick was very helpful in in uh in uh getting me the, uh the chart so i could uh, adapt it and so you're work yeah you're working with some great yeah. people in my opinion yeah. both of them i mean well, yeah and Alan was such a pleasure to talk to. He's a Florida guy. So, you yes. know, yeah. And, uh, but I just love the philosophy of the label and I hope that they will just uh, make it soar for you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you kind of addressed this in a way, uh, but you're connecting uh, the roots of the past with jazz of the present and a present day sound right can you describe kind of how you feel you do that yeah well it's interesting kind of like in my time because i feel like the the harder i mean the hard part about like learning jazz in this time is like there are so many more styles of music to like when i like i didn't you know come from a family that listened to jazz like i kind of started out listening to like mtv and like whatever was like basically mainstream or popular is, you know, what I heard when I was younger. And then of course, Michael Jackson and like Stevie yeah, Wonder sure. and all of that stuff, you know? So I kind of came to jazz like around middle school. Like I heard a recording of Freddie Hubbard playing by accident. Like I didn't intend to hear him play and I had never heard anything that incredible. And so after hearing that, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my life. It was like 20 seconds and I decided I'm going to be a jazz musician Wow. So, but there are so many different styles to learn and like my so my tastes are like very eclectic so on one hand like the way I hear swing I feel like each generation is a little different with that but I feel like really a lot of those influences kind of come cross over into the jazz music that I create so I um it's like I'm trying to go as far back as possible as mm -hmm. far like as far as studying the music you know embracing things like you know the the legacy of Louis Armstrong or like Earl Hines or, you know, the hot fives, mm -hmm. you know, checking out ragtime and then just really going through each kind of period 
but then like not only like stopping at the 60s but even going further and like well how does that relate to what i'm dealing with today or like what can we add to this like as far as swing um mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of great music coming out in the in the coming years um because i feel like there are a lot of other younger people who are also hearing music in a different way but i guess every everybody's kind of like that every generation you, you all have your similarities and so each sound is slightly different. Well, you know, the thing is, is that the beauty of music, and I'm just speaking from my own personal uh, perspective, is that it is the most plastic of all the art forms. I mean, you know, nothing against painting or nothing against sculpture, you know, but once it's done, it <laughs> goes in the gallery, right? But yes. with with music, especially, you know, I mean, uh, it gets recreated every time it's performed. Yes. Uh, and uh, uh, a recording maybe freezes in time a particular way a particular tune was played at that time by that particular group of individuals but you go the next night and hear them play that tune in a club and it might be very different yes. you know so you you know we have that wonderful flexibility and I think uh, uh, you're absolutely right with uh, technology and with, uh, uh, you know, the ability, I mean, I'll just take iTunes as an example. And when you can go to their browse section and you can go and all of a sudden there's all these different styles from all over the world. Right. Yes. And I don't know if you do this, but sometimes, you know, I'll just pick, here's a style of, you know, I'm not just going to listen to this because I don't know this. And, 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 and then I go, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love those beats or I love that particular sound or whatever's happening there. And, you know, and we didn't have that when, you know, when I, uh, when I was younger, you know, we had, uh, we, we had some, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, resources, but nothing like what we have today. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, I think a lot of, hybridization or cross fertilization or whatever you want to call it of different musical styles that I think is really, really great. I just love, I was listening um, to a jazz harp player by the name of Brandy Younger this morning. She's, you know, Brandy or know her music. Yeah. I, I, uh, she's got a new album out and I was listening to it this morning while I was uh, uh, getting ready and so on. And here's the harp. And she's, and it's, you know, an instrument that we most often associate with classical music, but, uh, and she gets this beautiful sound. And then there's this, uh, what always intrigues me is those interesting twists and turns of, of, of how musicians, you know, do things. But, uh, and then I, I go back, uh, I remember um, it was probably a year ago, coming up on almost two years ago. I was in a an online seminar with Robert Glasper and he, listening to him talk about his music and and I and I thought you know there's um you know this definite you know bringing together of different styles and different different kinds of things and it and it made me think back to Miles Davis and how effectively and as i used to teach miles davis in my jazz history class he would change styles about every 10 years yeah you know yeah and 
and he would do it by surrounding himself with different groups of musicians right you know like you know uh the late 50s you know he, when he had bill bill evans and cannonball and coltrane and right. you know to come up with what he eventually went down on kind of blue or when he hooked up with Gil Evans for, for the, yeah. the, 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 that kind of environment. And it's almost like he would bring in these different musicians and perspectives right. to see where it would push him and his creativity. Right. I, I'd say, yeah. yeah. He was so brilliant. Like he, he could always put like the right combination of people together and to get like some kind of sound. So he's just kind of like, watching it from afar and like looking at like what all these people can do. He was really brilliant in that way. Yeah, but yeah. that's the thing I like about jazz music also is there's so many musical styles and traditions within the music, you know? So you have like the whole, like you have like a tradition of New Orleans music. Um, you have like stride piano, which is using classical piano techniques. Then you have like, you know, a folk tradition with like blues music, the music is spiritual. So you can do a hymn like his eyes on the sparrow and adapt it to the music. So, you know, it's interesting. I feel like sometimes um, when we talk about jazz, it seems so compartmentalized, like it's this and then it's this and then it's that. But I re realize like a lot of the stuff kind of bleeds into each other. And so there are so many different styles within the music. I, I we you know it's so it's wonderful to hear hear you bring that up. It, it just reinforces what I've heard others. Uh, a week ago, I was uh, interviewing a composer arranger, uh, Erica Erica Segway, and uh, she has a, a big band. They just released a new album, and uh, uh, we were talking about very similar kinds of things that you and I are about musical styles, and and uh, and I you know, was at, trying to pin her down about the music on her. She says, I just wish we could stop using labels and just call it music. Yeah. Because, said, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. because, well, I mean, I think about, and I would tell my students this too, that, you know, like sometimes the only reason that we have labels is so that, that record companies could track their sales. Who are they selling to what, you know, and who's buying, you know, what that sort of thing. And, um, I think um, two or three times in the last couple of weeks, I've had musicians remind me of Louis Armstrong's uh, quote when he was interviewed. Uh, uh, and he said, there's only two kinds of music. There's good and there's bad. And anything you can pat your foot to is good music. And uh, I tend to think that, uh, that there's a lot of a lot of truth to that. And I don't like to get hung up with with labels. But uh, uh, but there are ways to uh, uh, take. You know, what's gone before us and modernize it. And I guess we do it all right. the time, right. you know, so. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. And, and let, well, before we do that. Let me ask you if there's anything else about the new album you want to share with us that I haven't brought up or, you know, that we should know. Well, I'm doing my album. The album, it drops on June 16th. Um, so I'm doing an album release at Dizzy's Club in New York. I'm really excited for people to hear the music. I think people are, there's something for everybody in the music. Um, it goes a lot of different places. I think people will really enjoy it. So I'm just excited for people to hear it. 
Wonderful. Wonderful. And uh, it's a Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola, which is at Lincoln Center, right? Yeah. Well, it used to be um, Club Coca-Cola. So now uh, it's just Dizzy's Club. <laughs> now it's just Dizzy's Club. Coca-Cola is no longer a sponsor. Huh? Okay. All right. Well, that's okay. Dizzy's Club, but it's Dizzy's Club at Lincoln yes. Center, right? Yes. Okay, good. Well, that's an important venue also. So very good to hear that, that that's happening. And uh, for anyone who's going to be in New York, that what's the date of the release party again? Well, I'm playing from the 15th to the 17th, but the 16th is the day the album drops. Okay, the album so. drops the 16th. So uh, so if you're in New York and uh, can can go and catch Anthony and his, uh, and his group and new music from the new album, that'll be awesome. Well, you'd also do a lot of work as a sideman. Yes. Of all the bands you perform with as a sideman, which one has the most challenging book and why? Hmm. Well, man, I feel like I've learned so many different things from a lot of the different bands I've played in. Um, I got a chance to sub with the Jazz and Lincoln Center Orchestra recently, and I find that every time I play with them, the challenge with playing with them is that they're so tight as a unit that if you're like a second off, like you stand out like a sore thumb. So you really have to listen to Ryan on lead. It, okay. You have to be like really on it. And then they always like Winton, he's always talking about, you know, like putting some ictus on the rhythm. Like, so, you know, they don't necessarily play loud, but every rhythm they play is like very intense. It's, it's like as far as the intention of it. So you, you really have to be intense and, and present when you're playing the part and you have to listen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That I would imagine that, uh, uh, you know, going and playing with the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra would be like uh, subbing with the with the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, very similar, uh, you yeah. know, a very high level uh, group of musicians that have been together for a good long while. And that, that listening aspect is so, so important. I, I know for, especially for my younger listeners, uh, again, reiterate what Anthony's talking about here. Uh, and I've heard this from others that as they grew and matured as musicians, what they, I've, they've said to me is that they worried less about their own playing and focused more on listening to others yeah. and fitting things together. So that could really be uh could be a uh you know because it you know you do want it to be tight and you don't want to stick right. out yeah right. well i had i asked the same question i'm, I'm very good friends with frank green who's a lead yeah. player you know frank yeah actually i just played with him this past february with uh christian mcbride big band oh cool <laughs> that was yeah. Yeah. yeah well frank frank and i i've had i had frank on the show oh it's been some time ago again i started with people i knew <laughs> and frank <laughs> was one of them and uh, I know, I know, you know, Frank plays with all lots of different big bands. And I asked him that question, which big band ha was uh, the most challenging book? And this was right after he uh, was named as the uh, the new lead player for the Basie band. And and that's what he, he said. He said he thought the Basie book was the hardest. And the reason he said that, he said, it's not because of the musical challenges he says it's because the challenge of the tradition when you feel figure out the shoes that you're filling when you're playing lead trumpet with the bassy band yeah. you know 
and yeah. uh and i know from listening i because i do a lot of listening to uh different different bands and and i know some are incredibly uh uh rhythmically complex in the way that you know the writing is and some are uh complex from a, a standpoint of uh you know just the uh technical requirements right uh but i guess that uh that idea of 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 uh fitting in and making sure that you're you know part of an ensemble and not just an individual i i tell you i talk about that <laughs> all the time with <laughs> with my community groups that i conduct because uh you know amateur musicians are, are not always they're, they're always so worried about themselves making a mistake <laughs> on their instrument they're not really listening to other people around them and i'm just yeah. on them all the time about listening but yeah well you talked about what turned you on to jazz was freddie hubbard what turned the light on you to play the trumpet oh man so i did not want to play trumpet at all like when i was in sixth grade all i wanted to do was play basketball and just have fun basically um you know but my mom she wanted me to do something when i was going to middle school so she thought it would be really great if i played trumpet because her grandfather played trumpet which i never got a chance to meet him but you know, she always remembered him sitting in like his rocking chair playing. And so she was like, you should play trumpet. It would be, it would be cool. And so she forced me to do it. And honestly, like maybe two months into school, I fell in love with it. Okay. You know? But it, the reason I fell in love with it was because I was watching like Freddie Hubbard on TV, like by accident, I was just like surfing through channels. And then I just somehow stumbled upon Freddie Hubbard playing on Cantaloupe Island. Have you ever seen that video? Uh, uh I, I i can't say for sure yeah. i've you know there's been a lot of a lot of water's yeah. gone under the but, bridge for me and I've, <laughs> you know, so, so it I, was just freddie being freddie yeah yeah and i don't know i had never seen that so i was just like that's what i want to do with my life so after that i just started practicing like every single day for like hours oh wow yeah. you just you really your fuse really got lit then yes yeah <laughs> I, you know, cause I, it's like, I don't think I really got turned on to practicing until, uh, until I got to high school. I mean, all the way through junior high and so forth, the band was, I enjoyed it, you know, and I enjoyed playing right. in band and, and then I got to high school and, um, uh, and there was this kid who could play better than me. And I thought, Oh, I guess I better get with it. <laughs> and, uh, because I was a competitive sort and, uh, and then that's when I, uh, you know, I, I got into it, but I knew that I was turned on to music, really turned on to music. And I mean, all the way after, actually, after I graduated from college, hmm. I got a, I had a degree in music, music education, and I was kind of at a crossroads in my life. And I thought, you know, maybe I'm just going to go a different direction. Hmm. I in completely different direction. So I stopped playing and I uh, lasted for about a month and a half. And then I couldn't leave it alone. And I've never been able to leave it alone since. Oh. And uh, even now that I'm uh, semi-retired, I'm, I'm playing more now than I ever have. Which, which is, you know, it's a great way yeah. to live as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Yeah. you know that's the cool thing about music too it's like like if you take care of yourself it's like you can do it you know forever you know pretty much 
you know, I look at Doc Severson and I go, oh, yeah. oh, gosh, I used to think, I just hope I can yeah. still hold my horn yeah. when I'm 96. I know that. You know, <laughs> I hope or, you'd be the same way. <laughs> yeah. Or Doc Cheatham, who was 104. He was 104 when he finally passed and he was still playing. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and I agree. I think that there's, there's no, no, no better thing. Of course I'm biased. There's no better thing you can do than, than, than play music, learn an instrument. It's, it's a constant, um, uh, one of the groups that I conduct as a, a amateur groups that I conduct is a band through the new horizons, uh, international music association, which is specifically for older adults. So most of the people in this band that I conduct are in their seventies and eighties. And some of them hadn't played for 30, 40 years, but they're, you know, we're getting back to it. Yeah. And I always like to tell them, I said, yeah, man, you, it's good. You're back playing music because playing music is the most fun you can have with your clothes on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. And, and I've gotten to where I, it, I'm at the stage too, when I practice, I mean, I love practicing exercises and etudes as much as I like practicing tunes. You know, yeah. I mean, just things that I'll get a book and I go, oh, yeah, I can't do this. So this is what I need to practice. Yeah, but that's always kind of always fun, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I guess it's better. I mean, I, I got to do something. I don't play golf. <laughs> <laughs> well, I here's a question I'm going to ask you that I think you will be very well qualified to answer because you do have an interest in all kinds of jazz styles and, and, and historical eras and so forth. And, you know, jazz, we've, we've brought this up, comes in a lot of different flavors. Yes. You know, I mean, if we go to the, the gelato store of jazz, there are, there's so many different flavors you can try in combinations, but there seems to be a certain essence in the music that is across all of those various flavors. What do you think that essence is? And then how is, uh, this is two questions. What is that essence that's in all of these styles of jazz uh, that is kind of a common denominator? And then how is jazz different from other styles of music? Right. Well, I think the one defining thing that separates jazz music from other musics is the role of the drum. I, th I, th I think the drum is really important. And okay. I think because of that, that's how we get swing. So I would say that's the one defining thing. And even if you're playing, like, even if you're not like doing, you know, tang, 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 even if you're playing something like Maiden Voyage, um, mm -hmm. which is like in a straight feel, like you can still tell if somebody is swinging as like, if they were a classical musician playing over Maiden Voyage, they wouldn't be in the right time. So, so like the swing on one hand, it's like a certain rhythm you play, but it's also a feel that you have like within yourself as you play. So, and then also just like in most music I check out, like if you listen to the bass, it's like playing a bass line, you know, like bump, it's like something like that or it's just ding 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 but with jazz like the bass line is something that i feel like really distinguishes it from any other music just like i've never heard that in any other music so there there is your i think you're right there is that interaction i have to share a quick story with you because this i love these kinds of stories because they make me feel victorious in my new orleans uh brass band 
my drummer is a, a high school senior. And Joe's a good drummer, but he's, you know, he can lacks experience because he's 18, right? So one night we're having rehearsal. We get through with rehearsal and he, he says to me, he says, man, he says, this was great. He says, I finally had an epiphany. And I said, what was that? And I said, I finally figured out how the drums interact with the sousaphone <laughs> to create the, you know, the under right. the, uh, the, the foundation of the rhythmic groove. You know, and he says, he says, I figured out how to make my part really fit in with whatever, you know, they're playing. And I thought, yes. <laughs> and there's a really cool, speaking of drums, because I think drums are are really a, a super important element as well. There is a, I can't remember now which drum manufacturer puts it out, but it's on YouTube. And it's basically a history of the drum set. And it has all these examples. So it'll go back like to the earliest days of uh, ragtime and early jazz and show you how drummers uh, would, one drummer would play both a, uh, a bass drum and a snare drum. And they would do, they had some kind of a deal where the bass drum would be behind them and they'd, they hit that with one stick and then, and then the snare drum with the other and then come up, you know, and then how that evolved into what, would be done with like New Orleans second line drumming right. and then into uh, 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 the 20s and, and then the swing era and then how it all evolves and changes. Really, really cool. I mean, I, th right. I thought that, uh, uh, you know, I, and I, I every time I get a new drummer in one of my groups, I always refer them to that because I think there's a lot to learn from. Right. The other one that I just love too is a great video about how how hip hop evolved out of swing. That was yeah. really, really, uh, I thought excellent. So, yeah. but the role of the drum, yeah, that's, you know, you, I think you're the first person I've interviewed that's brought that up, but that is a, I mean, cause yeah, everybody's got different perspectives, but right. yeah, I clearly yeah. see that. I, but, yeah. And also the drum controls so much of the music. So even as an instrumentalist soloing over the music or like, you know, you're trying to fit your rhythms within the drummer's ride cymbal, like, mm -hmm. you know, cause if you're not, like in the rhythm of the ride cymbal, then you're not really in time with the band. So it really kind of comes down to the drum. That's the most distinctive thing. Mm -hmm. And like, that's why, you know, swing is what it is. So, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think that's, that's an excellent point. Um, well, you know, now that we have jazz and, and we know that it's uh, been around for well over a hundred years and it's had its ups and downs. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, what I'd like to know from your perspective is why and how has jazz sustained itself uh, over the past century? And then the second half of my question is then what is the major challenge of being a jazz artist in the 21st century? Right. Well, I feel like jazz music, it has an optimism in it. Um, naturally, like even if you think about the history of America and everything we've been through, I feel like out of all of that, jazz was born, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, you know, so I, I feel like it just has that kind of spirit of freedom to it. Um, I guess nowadays it's not necessarily the most commercial music, but even if it's never the most commercial music, I feel like there are so many people playing the music right now, I feel like honestly, it just needs to be brought to people's ears. 
Um, because I, I think you know, from when I've played gigs and I've played for people, like I know that some of those experiences have been transformative for people in the audience or you know, who hadn't heard the music before. So I think people really they have the ability to like the music. They just need to know it's there. Um I, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> and you know, I think sometimes um like what what might have worked in like the 50s and 60s as far as marketing the music doesn't it's not going to work in today's time because it's just a different time. So I feel like we definitely, you know, we can't rely on the usual conventions that might have worked in the past. We have to find new ways to connect with people, whether that's social media or, you know, and I think it's also nice to reach people in a public space, though. But I, I think we just need to get really creative with how we bring music to people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but people well, want it, though. You know, I I, I, I want to echo what you've been saying, because I, I uh, you know, I when I taught jazz history and appreciation, this was a very much at the crux of what I was trying to do was to get people to listen to jazz who had never really heard jazz or didn't really fully understand the, all of the, the perspectives on jazz. And, uh, it, uh, it was, it's always been, uh, very satisfying to me when I talk to someone who is, uh, well, I had this happen in January. I was playing at a club right here in the town where I live, Waukesha, Wisconsin. And uh, as I always do during the breaks, I go out and I talk to the audience and thank them for coming. And there was a couple that I didn't you know, recognize. Obviously, there was a number of people there that I knew because they were family or friends, but also a, a bunch of other people. And and I went up to them. I said, hey, thank you for coming out tonight. And they said, wow, this is really great. So we just came here tonight because we heard that this club had live music. We didn't even we've never heard jazz before. And 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 uh, and this is really great music. And I says, well, I tell you, you're right. It is. And I hope you come back and hear us again. You know, um, and I, uh, I, you know, we talk about the commercialization of music and I, I often like to think that jazz is a boutique music. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, 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 it has a, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's not the, the mainstream big box, uh, retailer of right. music, so to speak, but it's one that is sought out by people, uh, and it is very gratifying. Uh, I played a I played a, a club uh, last month in Madison, Wisconsin, and it uh, wonderful club. If you ever come to Wisconsin, the Cafe Coda in Madison is really a nice club. Um, and uh, they were charging a twenty dollar cover to get in to hear us, and we had probably you know forty fifty people, you know, which was pretty good for this club. It was not a really big club. But it wasn't just that. It was that the people stayed for the entire uh, for sets. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. They were there. They wanted to listen to us. Right. And I'll take that over, you know, being sonic wallpaper somewhere, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And I, I, I hear you that I think people, when they get when if they really you get them to sit still and listen to jazz, it'll hook them. Mm hmm. I think there's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's the thing about jazz too. I feel like 
it's not necessarily a spectacle. I mean, you can also, I mean, of course you can have elements of entertainment and, you know, make your music exciting or dance or tell jokes and stuff like that. But I think, you know, from a musical standpoint, you know, it requires stillness. You have to sit down and listen. And then I, I think if, if you're able to sit down and like create that space for yourself, I mean, it can be a really powerful moment, you know, so. I, man, I, yeah, I agree. I agree. Oh. And that's exactly what I would try to get people to do. Yeah. When I was, when I would, uh, when I was teaching, I would use, uh, I had those uh, Jamie Abersall CDs where you could isolate the bass and the drums in one track and the piano in the other track. And I would, uh, I'd put the line, I'd say, okay, now just listen to what the bass player's doing and listen to the hi-hat symbol or, or the ride symbol. I can't remember what was, what was tracked with the bass. And, and, and then, um, uh, you know, and then I'd switch it over to the other side and listen to how that, and then I said, now this is a recording which means right. that the musicians worked all this out, but envision, if you will, going into a live setting and the musicians are interacting in the moment. You're not right. just seeing a performing art, you're seeing a performance art. The art is being right. created as you witness it. Right. You know, there's yeah. nothing really a whole lot preset other than the particular tune and the key, you know? Right. <laughs> so right. anyway, I, I think that uh, that that is a, a great way to try to get people to listen. Well, I, I want to switch gears just for a little bit again. And I want to talk about you and your creative process. And Anthony, what I'm interested in is what inspires you when you write? Well, I feel like pretty much every single song I've written is inspired by something I've read or a person I know or something I've experienced. So I, I would definitely say, I guess in general life, like all my songs are about something like they're about a story or something I've experienced. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important, you know, like I think sometimes like as musicians, we practice and practice and we get so deep in the craft, but it's also important to be a person so and just enjoy life. So I, I just try to enjoy that as much as possible and do as many things as possible and just experience the, you know, I guess the ups and downs of life, hopefully more ups, you know, <laughs> but mm -hmm. that usually inspires songs for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just throw this out. This is not a question I had yes. included. So if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. But I'm just curious to know, you know, do you experience sort of a, uh, you know, psychologists would call it synesthesia, you know, where you see a particular yeah. uh, person or a particular scene and a musical phrase pops in your head? Hmm. I wish. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wish I was gifted with that, you know. Okay, okay. Because I, you know, sometimes that will happen to me and, you know, where I'll, uh, I'll see uh, a particular you know, person. And the first question I have, you know, cause I'm a people watcher. I love just to go to public places and, and, and watch people and, and right. kind of how they interact. And usually I always, when I see someone, I think, gee, I wonder what their story is. Mm -hmm. And I watch the way they walk and how they walk right. and maybe how they, and then all of a sudden I'll start hearing in my head, some, maybe something that would be a soundtrack for that person. 
uh, or, or, or that. And I've had other singer songwriters and composers kind of refer to that. And I think the poetry, you talk about poetry. I, I want to also just share with you something that's very near and dear to me for 14 years. I used to teach an interdisciplinary course at the university called jazz in literature. And I taught it with a colleague who was from the English department and his major focus was poetry. And we had two volumes of jazz poetry that, uh, that was uh, works written uh, about jazz or about jazz musicians or the jazz subculture. And uh, and we would, uh, we would teach that. And um I would teach about, you know, about the musicians and, you know, who the poetry was written about. And, and then Phil, my colleague, would explicate the poetry. And uh, there was also a collection of short stories that we used to use. And you're not going to believe this, but the title of the book was But Beautiful. <laughs> and it's by an author named Jeff, Jeff Dyer. And... Uh, it's a wonderful collection of short stories about different uh, about different musicians. There's a really great one in there about Lester yeah. Young uh, and uh, uh, Chet Baker. And then all of the short stories are tied together by another story that's kind of in between about Duke Ellington and Harry Carney yeah. traveling in a car. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. Yeah, I need to get this book. <laughs> yeah, you would. Yeah, yeah. It's entitled. Really it's entitled "But Beautiful." It's yeah. by Jeff Dyer. It's probably your best bet's going to find it at a used bookstore because I don't think it's in print anymore. Hmm. And yeah. then there's uh, there's also a great collection of jazz poetry that I also know is out of print now. It's called "Moments Notice," and uh, and then. Uh, uh, but we, uh, yeah, I and I would constantly look for uh, resources of different poems about uh, about jazz musicians. And one night, Quincy, uh, let's see, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, Quincy Troop, who's a, a poet and writer, he was in Milwaukee and he uh, he uh, came in. He was speaking about Miles Davis because he had just had a new book come out called Miles and Me. And. Um, some of his poetry is really, really quite, quite good as well. So as a poet, you'd probably be very interested in those kinds yeah. of things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I would say words for me are very important to my music because um, I definitely read a lot of poetry and write a little bit as well. So uh -huh. like even the first song on my album um, is Crystal Stare, which is based off the Langston Hughes poem, Mother to Son, you know. Oh, wonderful. And, you know, so like in the melody, like I actually try to represent the word so like the melody is literally like a staircase like it, it goes up and then there's a counter line that goes down while the trumpet is going up and then so they kind of weave in and out of each other but wow. so I, I kind of think like that with a lot of my music oh that's very cool very cool how that is reflecting it kind of you're engaging in uh, what we would call word painting yeah you know much. because you're you're letting the music reflect something about you know what's going yeah. on in the words yeah, yeah i love langston hughes yeah. and and uh uh uh, uh, uh oh criminy uh, all of a sudden name escapes me another great uh author mm -hmm. oh it'll probably come to me later but anyway uh that's that's really yeah. really great and that gets you in 
into something that we were talking about, about how you use various elements of music for your, your expression. You know, you actually consciously are, are creating music that reflects, uh, uh, you know, words. Yeah. I used to do that with Maya Angelou poems. Like when I would practice, like say coming up with melodies or working on my improv, I would just look at a poem that she would have. Um, and like, I would look at the stanzas and like, look at the way she kind of rhymes the words. And then I would try to create melodies that match like her phrasing and like in, in the stanzas. And you kind of yeah. come up with some really interesting things doing that. Like that's how I wrote words from a horn. You know? Wow. That is, that's intriguing. You're making me look forward. You're making me very thirsty to hear your, <laughs> to hear your music because, yeah. well, I mean, the, the poetry aspect, because I taught this course and, uh, you know, is, uh, is very important to me and how, uh, I mean, my whole thing was, I was interested in how uh, poets and novelists and short story writers would talk about jazz musicians and the and jazz as a music and how their poetry would somehow uh, not only reflect um, you know in a similar style jazz music but also maybe a particular jazz musician right you know and uh, uh, or or things about them and I also got intrigued by this whole thing when I started studying uh, vocalese. And how vocalese, where they would put words to to uh, improvise solos, yes. and and that uh, those words would um, describe the musician and and uh, right. and kind of what they what they were doing. I think that uh, yeah, I love that interaction. I also I also did I loved interdisciplinary stuff. So I also did a course called Jazz in Film, where I had I oh, had movie. We would I had a collection of films that were about jazz, jazz musicians, or the jazz subculture, right. you know. Oh. So, you know, uh, of course, we did Bird and we did uh, right. Round Midnight and and um, uh, Mo Better Blues and yes, you know, <laughs> uh, all those great movies, and yeah. then try you know get uh, how how filmmakers would portray jazz and jazz musicians. So that's good. Yeah. Um. Well, let me ask you then, when you uh, wrote, say, think back to the last piece, what usually is the first thing that comes to mind, a melody or a rhythm or or chord changes? What usually hits first? For me, usually the melody comes first. And okay. I, I intentionally started to do that because I realized sometimes when I would compose, or at least early on, I, I would usually sit at the piano and I would come up with chords and then I would try to make the melody fit the chords. But I think it's better if you do it the other way around where you have the melody and then the chords apply to the melody. Okay. So I, I, I usually start with the melody. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a lot of my conception sometimes comes from or yeah, is that I think melody is a real important kind of thing. I think that's, uh, you know, um, I'm going to ask a, a question. I think I might already know the answer to uh, on YouTube. You have a video of you playing a really beautiful arrangement. And I underscore the word beautiful, the way you play it of, <laughs> of Hoagy Carmichael Skylark. I mean, I love Skylark and uh, yes. it's, it, it's what draws you to other people's tunes you want to perform and record them like, skylark or but beautiful yeah right well 
Skywalk, that's one of the most beautiful songs I've heard, but I really love Hoagie Carmichael's writing. So pretty much anything he writes, I'm down to play it because he's just such a great writer. And I mean, Stardust, too, is one of probably my top five ballads. Okay. But, you know, I mean, I just like if you look at the melody, like the range of places that it goes just in the melodic um, content, like there's a lot of movement you know like the melody has a lot of ups and downs and it goes a lot of different places and so it's kind of like you know when you start the tune you know you really go on a journey you know as you reach the end so i want something that's going to have some movement in it okay all right so you probably wouldn't be as drawn to one note samba (laughs) (laughs) i mean one note samba's cool it's yeah it is it is it is i was being i was i was being facetious i really was stardust yeah stardust skylark uh you know yes i agree i am 100 percent with you i think but i think what that gets back to is what draws us is melody there's beautiful melodies are 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 things that go uh go right along with us well i have a number of young people who listen to my podcast and i would be curious to know you know from yourself uh what would be uh excellent advice to others aspiring to be professional musicians oh yeah i'd say if you're aspiring to be a professional musician definitely work on your craft like really get to the highest level that you possibly can get to and also realize that after a certain point really your biggest competition is yourself so just every day try to be a better version of yourself like as a person and musically um and like you know, I mean, music is also competitive, you know, you're competing with yourself, but then there are a lot of other people who want to do the same. So just, you know, really work on your craft and get to the highest level you can get. And and then also think about your mission and what you want to do, like, where do you want to be in 10 years? And I think that'll really affect the decisions you make today. And, and those decisions will help lead you closer to that place. That's great advice. That's great yeah. advice. It reminds me about the, you know, the the joke about the guy that flew into New York and he got into a cab and and uh, he said to the cabbie, he says, hey, uh, how, how do I get to Carnegie Hall? And the yeah. cabbie turned around and said, practice, man, practice. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. old, old joke, old joke. Yeah. Well, now that the new album is about to come out, are you planning your next one? <laughs> well, Man, the music on the album that I'm re- releasing, I had I've been writing that music for years. So I have so much music that like is still not recorded. So honestly, I have enough music for probably like two or three albums. So it's more so just getting the funds in place, you know, to do it and timing. Sure. <laughs> I definitely oh, want to record. That's great that you've got enough material ready to go. And that's, that's super. Do you have any other, uh, any new recording projects planned or in the works with other artists? Yes, man. This spring has been really fun. I've been doing a lot of different recordings. So I'm in um, Ulysses Owens Jam Y Band. We just recorded at Van Gelder last month. So I think that's going to be a great record coming out soon. Uh, I don't know if you know this saxophone player, Boyce Griffith. He's a really amazing tenor player from Florida uh-huh. as well. Um, so I just did a record with him a few weeks ago. And then, do you know, I think you had him on your podcast, Alton Sinclair, the trombone player. Oh, sure. I yeah. Michael Buble's band with him. So uh-huh. I'm doing a record with him next month. And then I'm doing a Christmas record. So I, I'm doing a lot of recording. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. And Alton's a great guy. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, we, we actually, we became friends on Facebook. So now I'm following a lot of what he's doing and he was a joy, real joy to talk with. I mean, such an upbeat, personable oh, yeah guy i mean and talk about being around positive people and a can-do yes. attitude oh yeah. yeah that's awesome well i'll look forward to that as well when that when that comes to get now uh have you got any club dates coming up here in the next yes. next few weeks in the next few weeks i'll mainly focus on the recording projects i have okay but okay. i am this summer i have a lot of dates with my band so okay. i'm playing the week at Dizzy's, of course. Uh -huh. I'm also playing in a concert. I get to finally go back to Florida, you know, my home state and play a concert there. So I'm really looking forward to that. Okay. All right. I have other dates as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I keep telling my wife, I said, we've got to go to New York. I says, I've been in, in interviewing all these great musicians. I need to go and show up and be yes. in their audience, you know, so that uh, I, I support them, uh, you know, in person instead of just uh, through the podcast and so many great uh, people and, and uh, always looking for, uh, you know, find out where you're playing. Of course, you'd have that up on your website, I'll bet. Yeah, you I keep think I just pretty... updated it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I include uh, links to your website, your Facebook page, all that in my show notes. So my listeners can, can go to those and keep, keep uh, apprised of what you're doing and, and where you're, where you're, where you're at. Well, Anthony, we've been talking now for about an hour and it's been <laughs> awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to add or tell my audience that I haven't asked you about? Hmm. hmm. Not necessarily. I'm just grateful to be on your podcast. Thank you for asking me to be a oh, part of this. It's been great talking to you. Well, the pleasure is all mine, actually. I mean, to to have the opportunity to talk with you and you're you're you really are a very uh, wonderful, personable, creative individual and just the kind of people I I like being around. And uh, so it's been a, a, all my the pleasure has been all mine to uh, to spend the last hour or so with you and uh, and uh, Anthony I want to thank you for taking time uh, out of your busy schedule to talk with me today and I want to wish you all the best with what I'm sure is going to be a continued successful musical future and we'll be looking forward to that album dropping June 16th uh, yes we'll look forward to that and uh uh, again, uh, for my listeners, the name of the album is Words from My Horn, and uh, we'll be we'll be looking forward to that. So thanks, and you have a great rest of your day. All right, you too. Thank you so much. You bet. My discovery composer of the week is Josef Wulfe, born in Salzburg, December 24th, 1773. He died in London. May 21st, 1812. Wolf's earliest musical instruction was as a chorister at Salzburg Cathedral from 1783 to 1786, where he studied with Leopold Mozart and Michael Haydn. In 1790, on his father's advice, he went to Vienna, apparently to study with the younger Mozart though it is unclear whether he ever became his pupil and how close their relationship actually was. Some authorities claim, however, that it was through Mozart's intervention that Wolf was appointed composer to Count Organsky in Warsaw, 
where in 1792 he made his first public appearance as a pianist. Having established a reputation both as a performer and a teacher, Wolf returned to Vienna in 1795, where his talents propelled him to the forefront of public attention. He was soon regarded as the only serious rival to Beethoven. Indeed, the Allgemeine Musikalische Zeitung referred to his unpretentious, pleasant demeanor to Beethoven's more emotionally charged style and praised him for playing that showed not just a pleasing originality, but also a very rare combination of power and delicacy. <clears throat> In 1798, he married the singer Therese Clem, and the following year embarked on a lengthy concert tour that took him to Brno, Prague, Dresden, Leipzig, Hamburg, Berlin, and Paris. He was well received everywhere, but nowhere more so than Paris where his welcome was every bit as rapturous as that he had received in Vienna, with the Journal de Paris describing him as one of the most exciting pianists in Europe. In addition to his activities as a performer, Wolfel also establishing, was also establishing a reputation as a composer. His first opera, Der Höllenberg, to a libretto by Schikanator, was well received on its first performance in Vienna in 1795, as was Der Nopf, Una Mann, three years later, and the Pasticcio Liebe machen Kreuzen Prozess. In Vienna, he also began to compose instrumental music in earnest, dedicating his three piano trios, Opus 5, to Haydn and his set of three piano sonatas, Opus 6, to Beethoven. These activities continued in Paris, where in early 1804, his opera, Le Mort Romanesque, was performed to considerable acclaim. The reason for Wolf's sudden departure from Paris in 1805 are unclear. Some authorities ascribe it to the lukewarm reception accorded his next opera, Fernando, though it seems unlikely given the high regard in which he was otherwise held. In May of 1805, Wilfel arrived in London and immediately set about establishing his reputation. He was enthusiastically celebrated both as a performer and a composer. His G major piano concerto, Opus 36, known as Le Cannes, was especially popular and performed at four concerts within the space of just two months. Among his orchestral works, the G minor symphony, Opus 40, which he dedicated to Cherubini, was highly regarded. As in Paris, Wolfel tried to make his mark as an operatic composer but he failed to secure a commission. He died suddenly in May of 1812. Though rarely performed today, Wilfel's piano music maintained its place in the repertory for several decades after his death and was only supplanted when its technical demands were overtaken by the advances of Schumann's generation. 
Posterity has treated his other instrumental music even less kindly, for it is passed out of circulation even more quickly. Here, Wolfel once again demonstrated his capacity for composing music whose essentially facile construction was cleverly masked by an instant melodic charm and grace. Above all, he was adept at writing for amateur performers. At his best, however, Wilfel demonstrated a mastery of formal technique that is rarely encountered in composers of his kind. Despite his ardent desire to achieve recognition as an operatic composer, Wilfel achieved no lasting success with his stage works. As a teacher, Wilfel had a significant influence. His most distinguished pupil was Cipriani Potter. His pupils described him as exacting, and his piano method is a testament to the importance he placed on securing a rigorous and thorough technique. Several of his concert works were also written with a pedagogical purpose in mind. The All Music Guide lists 14 recordings of Wilfel's chamber music, seven recordings of his concerti, 14 recordings of keyboard compositions, and two recordings of his symphonies. In my show notes is a YouTube video performance of Wulfel's Adagio from Piano Sonata in C minor, Opus 25, performed by Adalberto Maria Riva. Well, that's a wrap on episode number 138. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artists' performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I'll be interviewing Jerry Hunt of the blues trio The Dig Three. Other upcoming interviews include New York City-based jazz pianist John Thomas, New York City-based drummer, composer, and educator Luca Santaniello, jazz vocalist Tana Alexa, blues singer and guitarist Andrew Duncanson, and jazz guitarist Nathan Borton. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.